You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Our Lord Jesus said, Greater love has none than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The passage that Sam read in that song is our text for today. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, For some, excellence seems to be woven into the DNA of an individual. Naturally gifted artists or athletes or academics are born with a skill that seems to so exceed others and they naturally are prime and supreme in their craft. I see that in lots of people, but I would argue that the most inspiring expressions of excellence that I see are from those individuals that you wouldn't expect it to come from them. The filmmaker that chased their dreams when everyone told them to give up. Uh, The small basketball player who everyone told to quit because he wasn't big enough, but still wins the MVP. The entrepreneur who everyone was told that his business would never work, but he pushes through and succeeds. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has to confront individuals and factions within the local church, people who are striving to excel to build themselves up at the expense of tearing others in the local church down. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, he addresses these people and tells them to strive to excel in building up the church. Now, I think because Jesus Christ gave everything for us, certainly it would make sense that we should strive in our Christian living to give everything for him, shouldn't we? If we then care to strive for excellence in Christian living, excellence in building each other up in the church, excellence in being ambassadors to our lost world, where should we start? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul explains that the most excellent of the virtues of Christian living are faith, hope, and love. Throughout 2018, we're going to be taking six weekends set apart to focus on these three virtues. This week and next week, we'll be focusing on the greatest of all Christian virtues from 1 John 4, love. Now, normally you don't hear this said until the end of the service, but you're going to hear me say it a lot today. Harvest you are loved. So, knowing that, let us be a people who love one another as God loves us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we continue. Our God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. He who has shown us perfect love and the greatest love, a love that is affirming and satisfying to our hearts, a love that never leaves and faithfully endures. Allow us, Lord God, to comprehend more of the greatness of your love for us. 
so that we might be able to display it to others. Strengthen us for this task. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, little honest admission from the preacher here. We don't have enough time to talk about God's love. Today, nor next week, nor any week, if you could focus every sermon, every Sunday on love. Ephesians chapter 3 tells us that God's love is so great that it surpasses knowledge, right? But, but we can comprehend God's love so that we can love one another if, Ephesians chapter 3 says, we can comprehend it together with all the saints, if the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, and if in this way we focus our attention on God, we can comprehend God's love just a little bit more. A man might know what a warm blanket feels like, but on a cold day, the knowledge of that blanket is a lot more comforting when he has it. A man might be drowning underwater and he knows what a breath feels like, but when he gets out of the water and gasps, that gasp of breath is a little more refreshing. You might know God's love, but today I hope that you are comforted and satisfied more than you have before by it. How can we comprehend the love that surpasses knowledge? Well, I believe that we can comprehend God's love more if we comprehend God's love in the Trinity more. Write this down if you're taking notes. I hope that you are. The first thing you could have written down that was on the screen, you are loved, so let us love one another as God loves us. Write this down also. God's love is intrinsic to God's indivisibly perfect nature. Let's let's look at the text again. Chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You've probably heard that before. God is love. Well, this is what it means that God is love. Love is intrinsic to God's indivisibly perfect nature. Some people don't like to think of God's nature kind of like a quilt, right? Uh, We patch together a bunch of God's attributes, and the nature of God is a sum of the whole of his attributes. We got God's love patched together in this part of the quilt. God's justice patched together in this part of the quilt. Unfortunately, there's a lot of faults in thinking that God is just a sum of his parts. The quilt thinking is can bring us to a lot of poor theological places. It can cause us to think, well, I really like this part of the quilt, but I really don't like that part. That patch is a lot prettier than that patch. I don't like that patch. And you know, can we just take that patch out? Can we just replace it with something or maybe even duplicate that patch and put it there? That's not what God's nature is like. God's nature is indivisible. Not like a quilt, but more like a seamless cashmere blankets that cannot be divided. Yet there is a uniqueness to God's love amongst all of his attributes. You see, justice, justice is intrinsic to God's eternal nature, but justice is only displayed in response to sinners who break his law. 
God's love, on the other hand, God's love is intrinsic to his eternal nature, but he didn't need to wait for sinners to show his love. God has always been displaying his perfect love for all of eternity within the Trinity. Jesus said in John 17, 24, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. God didn't need to create you and me to be satisfied in a relationship. God has been satisfied in the eternal love between the Father and the Son for all of eternity. He does not need us. In this way, we see that God's love is satisfying. So satisfying and so abundantly satisfying that God chose to create. Not that he needed to create, but God's love overflowed in creation, inviting human beings to enjoy satisfying love. Humans rejected it. But the triune God's love still persisted. The father sought to show his love to the world, so he said, I will give to them my son. In this way, we see that God's love is not only satisfying, but God's love is rich. The father owns all things. He created the universe. If he wanted to get, show his greatest love, what could he give? What did he have could he give? What is the most valuable, richest thing that he had? He gave his son, his beloved son, knowing that his son would suffer. And knowing that the son would suffer, the son willingly said, I will give them my life. Jesus knew that he would suffer. In this way, we see that God's love is pure. Jesus is completely pure and there is no impurities in him. Yet he came to an impure people and he suffered the punishment of their impurities by dying on the cross and offered his purifying love to cleanse us of our impure sins. And to those who received Jesus' sacrificial purifying love at the cross, the Holy Spirit says to them, I will give them my faithful presence. In this way, we see that God's love is not only satisfying and rich and pure, but the Holy Spirit's presence with you, Christian, proves that God's love is measureless. You're forgiven, but like me, you still sin, don't you? You still turn from God to follow your own way, don't you? Has God turned his back on you? No. No, he is not. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says in his word, even if they remain faithless, I will remain faithful for I will not deny myself. And you are so united with God in the Holy Spirit that to deny you would be denying himself. Harvest, do you know the love that God has for you? 
the perfect love of our triune God means that no matter what you think of yourself today, no matter what burden of guilt or shame you bring in here today, if you have faith in his name, the same tender eyes of the Father that look upon his perfect Son with love also gaze upon you with the same tenderness and compassion and love. The Father sent his best. The Son gave his life. The Spirit will never leave you. Isn't this a warm blanket that comforts us? Isn't this a breath of fresh air that gives us life and satisfies us? Do you know this love? Turn to Jesus and you will. Be comforted by it. Enjoy it. And as his beloved child, know that the father's got a job for you in the family business. Look back at the book, verse 7. Look what it says about our relationship with God because we are loved. It says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you believed in Jesus, you were his beloved child and your father's got a job for you in the family business. Some families came to Canada generations ago and they came so many generations ago that the government just like gave them a plot of land. Whether it was right for them to give them the land or not, they got a plot of land. And for generations, they've been working that land. My father worked this land his father worked this land. His father worked this land. And you better believe when my son grows up, he's going to work this land. Other families came to Canada just a few generations ago. And they were given the opportunity to start a small business. My father opened this store. I opened this store. You better believe my kid's first job is going to be in this store. If you are a child of God, then you've got a job in the family business. And the business of our Heavenly Father is a labor of love for his church and for the world. Are you pulling your weight? Are you doing your job? What would it look like if you did your job? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love looks like. It says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. If the labor of love is a business, I think it's more like a trade. And we're told to imitate God, right? Ephesians chapter 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And if we're in a trade, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how new you are to the faith, God's the master. And we're all apprentices still seeking to learn this craft. Are you doing your job? Are you pulling your weight? 
or is your love waning? Are you relaxing your love because you have a love for something else? Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 12. This is the verse that I pray the most for my generation and the generation that's following me when I think about youth ministry and young adults ministry. Because we live in a culture where what the Bible says is wrong is increasingly called right. And Jesus said this about a culture like that. Because lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. What's the temperature of your love right now? What's the temperature of our church's love right now? Is it, is it burning hot? Or does it have freezer burn? Is it warming up? Or is it, is it lukewarm? When I think about the times that my love is cold, it's often because I don't love God and others first. I love myself first. I don't got time to think about others because I'm just obsessed with myself. Uh, maybe you uh, aren't doing your job and your love is cold because you don't love God or others first. You love this world first. Yeah, lawlessness is increasing and you're climbing that ladder with it. The love of this world is vain. First John chapter 2 says, if you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. Or maybe you can't love others because... Um, uh, uh, you love being right more than you love others. And you think you're telling people the truth and telling people the truth is loving them, but you don't really love them. You love being right. I don't believe the love of our church is cold. I pray that God would keep us from getting there. I believe that we are rooted and grounded in love, but we need strength together so that we can comprehend more of God's Love, are you doing your job? Are you playing your part? When love for God is first amongst Christians, love for others will naturally follow. We love because he first loved us. This passage now is going to tell us what it means to love one another. It's going to tell us because it will show us how God loves. And then we can see how we can imitate God's love. Harvest, you are loved. So let us love one another as God loves us. This passage tells us two unique aspects of God's love. Here's the first one. Write this down. God's love willfully gives. God's love willfully gives. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about the Father giving the Son. The son. Some of them are pretty well known. Bible verses about the Father sending, giving the Son. Is there a well-known Bible verse about the Father giving the Son that you might know? Maybe you can just say it out loud with a reference for me. John 3.16. Yep, that's a pretty well-known one. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whosoever believed in him, they would not perish but have eternal life. Galatians 2.20. It says Jesus said that he gave himself up for us. Romans 5.8. That God demonstrated his love is in this, and that while we are so sinners, Christ died for us. Beautiful to think about God's sacrificial love and being sent to the world. But this passage tells us there's another aspect about why Jesus was sent into the world. Let's look at it together. 1 John 4 verse 9. 
I hope you have your eyes in the book with me. I don't want to share my own opinion. God's word is truth. I hope you have your book open with me. First John 1, uh, excuse me, 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Jesus said it in his own way in John 10. He said, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. God's love willfully gives. And through this love, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, have abundant life lived through Christ. Are you living it? Or are you just grinding out day to day? I'm not sure we may say this verbally, but I think practically because of the way that we live, some of us believe that eternal and abundant life will only be experienced when I get to the afterlife. So I kind of just got to wait for it and grind through life. That, that, that's not the way the Christian life is to be lived. That's the way you go to the mall on Boxing Day. It's like, God, I know, okay, I, there's something good's going to come out of this. But do I really, it's okay. Just grind through. Just, I, I know I'm going to have to wait. The lines are going to be long, but there's a good deal coming. Just grind through. That's not the Christian life, friends. You don't need to wait to the afterlife to experience eternal and abundant life. It starts when you believe in Christ. Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that they wait. This is eternal life, that they know me. Do you know the Lord? Are you walking with the Lord? Jesus was sent so that we might live through him. How can you experience abundant life through Christ? Take note of these references. Galatians 2.20. Abundant life is lived through Christ when we live by faith in him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm out of the equation. I'm out of the equation. You want Jesus to live his life through you? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Are you living by faith in Jesus or are you living by faith in your own effort? Enact your faith in Jesus and live by faith in him and you'll be, begin to experience abundant life. Take note of this reference, John 10, 3 to 4. Abundant life is lived through Christ by following his voice. John 10, 3-4, Jesus says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What a joy. Jesus wants to give you abundant life. He wants to lead you. He knows your name. He's calling you. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of those people who write those articles on the racks waiting to get your groceries? Are you listening to the voices of those TV personalities you see? 
Are you listening to the voice of the celebrities you see on YouTube? Are you listening to the voice of our culture where lawlessness is increasing? No. Let all of those voices be mute and let the voice of Jesus be magnified. And follow that voice, for he will lead you. And what will it be like when he leads us? Well, take note of this reference, John 15. John 15, verse 10 and 11. Abundant life is lived through Jesus when we obey his voice. And what's it like? Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. What are you looking for joy for? What are you looking for happiness for? Jesus says, I have divine joy and I offer it to you. Obey my commandments. This is the abundant life that we live through Christ. Whether through sorrow, whether through weakness, whether through trial, whether through suffering, there is joy in abundance for the one who lives their life through Christ. Are you living it? If we want to enjoy abundant life, shouldn't it make sense that we would be connected to the one who is the source of life? Harvest, you are loved. And if we are going to love one another as God has loved us, then allow and let your love to be life-giving to others. What are the relationships you have like at home, at school, at work? If you were being honest, would you say that the people around you are thriving and that you're like the flame in their hot air balloon that allows them to soar? Or are you like the sinking sand that traps them down? Are you like the leech that just pulls out of them? Our life, our love will be life-giving when we lead others to live through Jesus. How can we do that? Well, how did God lead you? When we are dead in our sins, we didn't want anything to have anything with Jesus. But he was patient with us. He was kind with us. Like a father waiting on a porch for his son who has ran away. He let his son go, but he didn't want him to leave and he was waiting for him to come back. Romans chapter 1 says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's not loving to coerce someone to follow Jesus. It's not loving to compel someone to follow Jesus. It's not loving to turn a blind eye to others. Is it loving to watch a sibling make sinful decisions and turn a blind eye when you know what's wrong? Is it loving to hide your faith when a coworker notices that you live differently and asks for the reason why? Is it loving to let your child make decisions that will make them happy today, but you know will compromise their holiness? Is it loving to know the truth, but pressure others to change to the truth now? That's not the way the Father loves us. That's not the way the Father leads us. Love is patient and kind. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. 
see the way that the Lord has led you to live an abundant life through Christ and lead others to let them thrive in abundance through love. You are loved. So let us love one another as God has loved us. This is the first aspect of God's love that we can imitate. God's love willfully gives, willfully gives. And then also this, write this down. God's love mercifully saves. God's love mercifully saves. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a theological term that describes how the cross of Jesus Christ accomplishes our atonement, how it enables sins to be forgiven. Propitiation means that in love, the wrath of God was appeased or satisfied by means of the death of Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians don't really like talking about love sometimes, but I think that's because they think about God like the quilt. It's like, ah, I don't like that one. I like this one. Can we just put that one there and just get rid of that one? That's not who God is. The Bible says that God has anger towards sin. But listen to these verses so that you will learn about propitiation and how it transforms our relationship with God. If you want to learn more about propitiation, write these verses down. Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18 says that God's wrath is revealed against sin. Ephesians 2.1-3. Ephesians 2.1-3 says that all humanity is dead in their sins and children of wrath. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that in his death, Jesus became our sin. And Isaiah 53.10, Isaiah 53.10 says that by becoming our sin and dying on the cross, Jesus became the object of God's wrath in our place. And now, because of this Ephesians 2.4-6, Ephesians 2, 4 to 6 says that we are no longer children of wrath. We are no longer orphaned in our sin. We are adopted and beloved children of God. You are loved. God's love mercifully saves. And through this love, that means for you, Christian, that you are free from guilt and shame. How free? Psalm 103 is going to be on the screen right now. Listen to this word and hear how God thinks of you. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to his iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east as from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I've only been out west to BC once. I don't know if you have traveled out to BC. I went because I did skiing competitively when I was in high school. It was great. I was going up a mountain towards the ski hill, and I saw a cloud, and then I went through the cloud, and then I was above the cloud. I really liked the mountains. I loved skiing. Out west in BC was great. I've never been out east in the Maritimes. Not really a seafood person. But I've seen those commercials for like Newfoundland and Labrador on TV. It calls this, says call this 1-800 number or whatever. And, and the landscape though of the Maritimes look great. Like rolling hills, long beaches. It looks like I would enjoy the landscape out there. Never been out east. Never been out west. Okay, honestly, my perspective of east and west is because I grew up in the GTA and like, isn't the GTA just like the center of the universe, right? Like, Canada, the Canada is Toronto. Isn't that true? No, no, it's not true. But if I went out west, or if you went out west to BC, that doesn't mean that you've reached west. West is still far beyond them. And if you traveled out east to the Maritimes, that doesn't mean that you've reached east. East is sto- still far beyond there. Even the astronauts, when they travel out into outer space, they might pass through the atmosphere, but they'll still look up and see space is still far out beyond them. What shame did you carry in you with church today? What guilt bears down on your heart at church today? You need not bring this to church today. Don't you know? Your guilt and shame has been cast and removed as far as the east is from the west. You may think that you need to burden yourself down with guilt and shame, but God does not see you as a guilty sinner. He looks upon you as a beloved child. And how great is God's love for you? So inexhaustible that you could travel as far into outer space and never reach the measure of God's love for you, Christian. God's love has mercifully saved and you are free from all guilt and from all shame. Do you carry with you the guilt of laziness and failure? Do you carry with you the guilt of broken relationships? Do you carry with you the guilt of an addiction that you cannot seem to kick? Do you carry with you the shame of sexual immorality? God does not carry that. God does not look upon you with that. It has been removed. He loves you. You are loved. And our love can imitate God's love in this way. If our love keeps no record of wrongs in our relationship. If God has canceled our debts, what makes us think that we can hold others in debt towards us? If God has forgiven our sin, what makes us think that we deserve to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness of others? 
Are you carrying in with you today bitterness and unforgiveness? You might say, but, but you don't know what they did to me. And you're right. No, I don't. I don't know what your boss did to you. I don't know what your spouse did to you. I don't know what your ex did to you. I don't know what your classmate or teacher did to you. But do you remember what you did to God? Our sins tortured and mutilated and crucified his son. But he has released you from all debts to be paid. You might know that you want to get rid of it, but, but it feels like it's embedded into your, into your skin, like, like a tattoo that you know you shouldn't have gotten, but you were maybe a little inebriated, and now it's there, and you can't get it off. And, but maybe, uh, maybe I could get surgery and remove it. I probably should, but that's going to be hurt, and it's going to cost a lot of money. I'll just wear long sleeves even in the summer. Just, I'll just hide it and pretend like it's not there. Why hold on to it when God does not hold on to your sin? Yes, yes, it's going to hurt. But he has forgiven you. Love is not resentful. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sins. You are loved. God's love willfully gives, so our love should be life-giving. God's love mercifully saves, so our love should keep no record of wrongs. Let's look at one more thing in the text. I want us to see the change in tone of the writer from verse 7 to verse 11. Let's look at verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, now verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Let us love. And let me explain to you why we should love. Do you understand why you should love? Then we ought to love. Write this down. You are loved, so we must love one another as God has loved us. What other option is there? If you've known and received God's love, his eternally satisfying, rich and pure and measureless love. If you know the love that has freed you from guilt, if you know the love that gives you life, if you love God, you'll love what God loves. What other option do we have? Romans 13 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, 
Love never ends. What would, we, what would it be like if we did this? What would it be like if we actually loved, if God loved us? Well, I think the church would look and sound like a grand orchestra playing and performing a masterpiece symphony. And all of these attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13 would be like all the sections of the orchestra. The brass, the winds, the percussion. Christ is our uh, composer who has written the story of perfect love. The Holy Spirit is now conducting us to play in harmony. Are you playing your part? When the church performs love with excellence, the world will take notice. When the church performs love with excellence, we will be united together, brothers and sisters, a family. Are you playing your part? Does your pitch match the in harmony with the gospel? Are you keeping in time with the Holy Spirit as he conducts us. The way of love is the way of excellence in the Christian faith. And certainly does not God deserve our excellence. Brothers and sisters, you are loved. So let us love one another as God loves us. Father, thank you. Thank you for such a great love with which you have loved us, even while we were dead in our sins. So often we love those who, who we can get something back from them. But Jesus has told us that we should even love our enemies. We should even love those who would not even want to give something in return. We should love those even who can't give anything in return. This is the love that you have for us. Father, forgive me for my lovelessness. I know what 1 Corinthians 13 says, that if I do not have love, I have nothing. And that if I even try and be a spiritual person, but I don't do it with love, then I am nothing. God, your love is everything. Only that we would know your love more be comforted by it and enjoy it and then joyfully display it without discrimination, without prejudging as you have loved us. Grant us this as you desire it. In Jesus' name, amen.